Good day, everybody. We're here at Northern Hills Bible Chapel. I'm going to be introducing to you my son-in-law, Buck Wilson, is in town, and he's going to share a little bit during the Sunday school time this morning. Buck is the director of the Campus Ministries of Navigators at Kent State University in northern Ohio, and we're looking forward to hearing about his ministry there, and uh, we welcome Buck. So let's uh, welcome him with a big round of applause. I'm just kidding. Here he is. All right, thanks. Thanks. It's good to be with two of you this morning, uh, and um, I wish I wish we could have been together in person. Uh, we love so many of you, and to not be able to hang out with you and talk with you during the during the break and have um, a family Bible hour together. I'll just it's just uh, wish we could be together. So, but this is the best we can do, um, and so we'll have to take it for what it is. So um, let me. Go ahead and pray real quick, and then we'll we'll kind of dive in. So, uh, Lord, just thank you um, for your word and for your steadfastness. Uh, this times of pandemic, this times of unrest and um, injustice, it's just easy to lose hope or to worry and see the world like uh, the distractions of the winds and the wave. And so, Lord, we just want to keep our eyes on you uh, and keep you on the throne and knowing that you have the power to make things right again, and to bring this world back to wholeness. So thank you um, for who you are, Lord, and we just turn our hearts to you and, and put our trust in you. Amen. It's been two months of this COVID stuff, and I'm already sick of talking to screens or audio recording devices like we have now. So, um, But not having people with me makes it even more difficult because I'm not sure how to give an update because I, I like to respond with people and talk with people and be in conversation. So the way I've decided to do this is kind of an update of what we're doing at Kent is um, I kind of made it like a, uh, a shotgun blast. I'm going to kind of do a little bit of things that we've been learning about how to reach students and sharing some stories of the people that we're, we're talking with and impacting as well. So it's going to be kind of a shotgun blast. Um, and hopefully this goes well. Some of you men at the chapel have seen me shoot a shotgun and you know that I'm a terrible shot, but um, we're going to give it a shot anyway. So I'm going to fire away. So anyway, yeah, I wish we could be together. I wish I could see your faces. I wish you could hear your questions, and but I can't do that. So anyway, so I want to leave with an Instagram post, if you will. Many of you probably don't have Instagram, but I do. And so, uh, and if you heard the news in the last couple of days, there's been like a splash in the Christian circle of the lead singer for Hawk Nelson, who came out and put an Instagram post about how he doesn't believe in God anymore. And so he put several pages of an Instagram post. And so I want to read, if I can, several of those pages, just kind of what he said. I think it's really, really helpful. I find it helpful for what we do and for understanding this culture and where people are coming from. And so he starts off with some reasons, and I'm going to jump in on like the second page of what he's saying. He says, the short answer is that I was not lying about being a Christian before. Because I did not believe those, I did believe those things at the time. I may have been pulling on the threads of the, of the sweater, but there was still some sweater left back then. And the way he describes um, in, the, in the beginning is that his faith is kind of like pulling on the threads of a sweater. And all of a sudden, as he kept pulling, he just looked down and there was no more sweater left. That's kind of his analogy. So what did this sweater, sweater thread pulling process look like then? Okay, let's get into it. I grew up in a loving Christian home. My dad was a pastor and still is. And as far back as I can remember, life was all about the church. It was our community. It was our family. It feels important to point out that church wasn't something we went to once a week. It was more like something that we came home to as often as possible after bravely venturing into the world when necessary. It wasn't part of our life. It was our life. When you grow up in a community that holds a shared belief, and that shared belief is so incredibly central to everything, you simply adopt it. 
Everyone I was close to believed in God, accepted Jesus into their hearts, prayed for signs and wonders, and participated in church, youth groups, conferences, and ministries, and so did I. I became interested in music, began playing and singing on worship teams, and started leading worship at church and youth events. Even I remember being uncomfortable with certain things. Praying in public always felt like some kind of weird performance art. Emotional cries such as, Holy Spirit, come fill this place, always felt clunky and awkward, leaving my lips. A youth conference I attended encouraged every teen to sign a pledge they would date Jesus for a year. It felt manipulative and unsettling to me, so I didn't do it. I figured I was overthinking all these things. This was the beginning of my doubts. I began to develop the reflex to simply push it down and soldier on. After all, everything I knew and loved believed in God, Jesus and the Bible, and so, if it, so I felt it must be true. At the age of 20, I joined Hawk Nelson and began touring with the band. It was a blast. Our music wasn't overtly Christian, but at times, we went on, uh, time went on, we became more outspoken about our faith and our music. To be fair, I was the loudest voices pushing for that shift because I believed it would lead to more success in the Christian music world. When I became the lead singer, the main songwriter in 2012, the shift was fully realized. We went from songs like Bring Em Out to songs like Drops in the Ocean. Google the lyrics. The difference is not subtle. Even through this shift, there were still many things about Christian culture that made me uncomfortable. In fact, the list was growing. There were things that just didn't make sense to me. If God is all-loving and all-powerful, why is there evil in the world? Can he not do anything about it? Does he choose not to? Is the evil in the world a result of his desire to give us free will? Okay, then what about famine and disease and floods and all the suffering that isn't caused by humans and our free will? If God is loving, why does he send people to hell? My whole life, people always said, you have to... You have to go back to the Bible, to what the Bible says. I found, however, that consulting and discussing the Bible doesn't answer my questions. It only amplified them. Why does God seem so mad uh, in most of the Old Testament? And then all of a sudden, he's loving Father in the New Testament. Why does he say to not kill, but then instruct Israel to turn around and kill men and women and children to take the promised land? Why does God let Job suffer horrible things to win a bet with Satan? Why does he tell Abram to kill his son, more killing again, and then basically saying, just kidding, it was a test? Why does Jesus have to die for our sins, more killing again? If God, if God can do anything, can't he forgive without someone dying? I mean, my parents taught me to forgive people. Nobody dies in that scenario. I was raised to believe that the Bible was a perfect word of God. Sure, it was written by human beings, but those people were divinely inspired. And we can consider the words they wrote to be the word of God. I began to have questions and doubts about that. It seemed like there were a lot of contradictions in the Bible, and they didn't make sense. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, so I'll leave the details for another time. Suffice to say that when I began to believe that the Bible was simply a book written by people as flawed and imperfect as I am, that was when my belief in God truly began to unravel. During a vacation to Mexico with my wife's family, I had a revealing conversation with a father-in-law who was also a pastor. Like my dad, he's a loving father. He is patient, sincere, and believes in God with all his heart. I was asking about a verse in 1 Timothy that seems to really oppressive of women. It indicates that women shouldn't be church leadership, shouldn't teach men, and shouldn't wear their hair in braids. To me, that seems less like the message of loving God than most Christians believe in now, and more like the ideas that, were, we, that we have been present in the culture at the time, a male-dominated society where women were treated like, less like equals and more like property. My father-in-law asked me if I had been reading the King James Version because he felt that the King James Version had put his, put his own spin on a lot of things, and that version couldn't be truly trusted. You have to go back to the original Greek, he said. This is something I've heard a lot over the years. I asked him, so it sounds like you believe that the modern translations can't fully be trusted because they are human, flawed, imperfect. I am simply taking that thought to its next natural conclusion. 
that the original Greek is also human, flawed, and imperfect, and also can't be trusted. He replied, well, if you believe that, what do you have left? I said, exactly. Once I found that I didn't believe the Bible was the perfect word of God, it didn't take long to realize that I was no longer sure where, where there was at all. Then that, that thought terrified me. It sent me into a tailspin. The implications of that idea were absolutely massive. I began to ask myself, what now? Over the past year, I've occasionally mentioned publicly my struggles with depression. This is what really kicked that off. What do you do when the rug is pulled out from under your feet? When you find yourself no longer believing the things at the core of how you see yourself and see the world? What do I teach my own children? If I'm honest about this, with all my Christian friends abandon me? Will, this, will they alienate me and my family? Will this leave me with nothing? Those are the questions that led me into a very dark place for a while. I felt like I've mostly emerged from that dark place now because I've discovered that life really does go on. I have trusted friends that know, that know this about me and love me anyways. My family has shown me incredible love and support, even though I know this grieves them. While I know I can no longer stand on the stage and good conscience sing songs like Drops in the Ocean, I no longer fear losing my place in Christian music. I know this means giving it up willingly. I'm ready to be transparent and open. I think that open part is key. It's open to the idea that God is there. I prefer, I prefer it if he was. I suspect if he is there, he is very different than what I thought. I know my parents pray that God reveals himself to me. If he's there, I hope he does. Until then, I feel the best thing I can do is to be honest. Stepping away from belief in God has felt like a loss in some ways, but it's felt like freedom in others. Uh, Jess and I both always had the sense that we weren't doing enough of the things we were supposed to do as Christians. We didn't enjoy going to church. We didn't enjoy reading the Bible. We didn't enjoy praying. We didn't enjoy worship. It all felt like obligations. And our lack of enthusiasm at those things made us feel like something was wrong with us. Now, I don't believe anything was wrong with us. We simply didn't believe. And we were too afraid to admit that to ourselves. So, in that sense, we have a tremendous sense of relief now. I am hoping that writing this contributes to that relief. As I've processed those thoughts and feelings over the past year or so, I've avoided writing online about matters of faith. I didn't want to pretend to believe anything I didn't believe. But I also didn't want to rock the boat. I am not sure how much this will rock the boat. I don't know if this will surprise anybody. But it doesn't matter. What matters is that I've fully, I finally worked up the courage to tell my story, to share my deepest truth, and that feels like freedom too. It's going to be 72 degrees here in San Diego today. The sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. No sweater needed. So I know it's longer. Um, I know it's, you can look it up for yourself. Um, his, uh, he's a lead singer of Hulk Nelson. It's on his public Instagram page. And he just goes through his story about what it means to grow up in the church and, and, and what he's walking away from. And I just, that, when I read those stories, I'm not, I'm not surprised, uh, but they are saddening. It's saddening because I feel like the stories that we hear in here are the same struggles that college students that we work with are asking. And that a lot of the times that I, we feel the church or certain places of upbringing are actually getting in the way instead of helping them figure it out. And so uh, this, these stories, I think, are not only common nowadays, but they're going to become more and more common. These kind of coming out stories of no longer being a Christian. Because I think there's a lot of young people that have grown up in this and taken it for granted. And they're coming to places of wrestling, coming to places of doubt, and they don't know where to turn. Some of the things that, I, um, that he mentions in here is not feeling that the church is a safe place to wrestle. That if he does kind of come out with some of these questions, will he be alienated? Will he lose his community? Will people judge him or, um, or shun him? And it's just sad to hear these things. Even at the end, I mean, he kind of ends it with this conclusion. It's a beautiful day, no sweater needed. And the whole analogy of him pulling on the sweater, not having one left, it's like he doesn't need God. In his mind, God has come to a place where he can get by on his own. He doesn't need to kind of create or, or have a God that he has um, fabricated. And so he just rejected the whole idea.
And it's hard. It's heartbreaking, I think, because I think there are a lot of people in our culture that are at places like this and don't know how to work, don't have, to have the words to express it. Uh, they have a bunch of doubts and questions, don't know where to go to even to begin looking at those. And I think these stories are giving the people like him the strength to admit what's really going on, but it feels like an all or nothing. They've got to leave the whole thing, and there's no place left for them in the church. And so a lot of what we do and a lot of what we want to do is create a place for them inside our group, that people that wouldn't step foot in churches, people that have these questions, that are pushing back and wanting to follow Jesus and wanting to know where does God stop and religion start and how do you mix these things up because religion just convolutes everything. And, and sometimes the worst enemy of the gospel is actually the Christians themselves. And so how do we do that? How do we know the God of the Bible and understand who he truly is? Because a lot of the things that he picks out in there are the same questions that we get year in and year out about the character of God and who he is. You can read it on your own. It's, it's a, um, I think it's well-written and well-expressed. I'd be curious to see where he goes with that. But I think my heart breaks because the Bible does offer answers. Um, and I don't know. I'm not sure where he's going to be with those. So uh, anyway, so I'm going to transition from there. So um, I think it's a good kind of lead way in the heart of this current generation of what we're going to be seeing as more and more common. But there's a book that a staff member of ours read. Um, it's called Meet Generation Z by James Emery White. Uh, and James Emery White's a great author. Uh, he wrote this book to kind of give insights into this new generation. It comes from a, a Christian perspective. Uh, and there's some takeaways that I kind of want to lead with that I think have been very helpful. And so he says, uh, the three things that I like is, and if we're going to talk to this new generation, this is what we use in campus, is we need to be able to explain everything. We need to be concise, and we need to be able to contextualize and put everything into its place. And specifically, if you can use image or story, the better that is. So we need to explain everything, be concise, and contextualize everything best with image and story. And I love these three things. What I love about what this Hawk Nelson lead singer wrote, as it's full of this lingo of, I am wrestling with what I came up believing. And he doesn't even necessarily have the words. Some of the things that he's even wrestling with, I think there's a lot of Christians that could give him better words, people that would give him better sources to, to really dive deeper into these issues. It's like the questions he's answering are still surface-level questions, that there's deeper questions to get, to get more into the heart of God and what he's doing. And it's hard to see some of his conclusions, that there's no God left, because I think there's a rich deep, loving God underneath there. But we need to be able to explain everything. I think most times for us, as we work with students, how do we explain things like justice, things like sin, things like gospel? How do we explain things like atonement? How do we explain things like forgiveness? I mean, on and on, these things just feel so abstract and so far removed from the world. Right? I mean, forgiveness, how do you explain that? I mean, one of the mantras that we always use is forgiveness is always at the cost of the forgiver. Because the, to be able to forgive means you have to bear the weight of that, whatever that cost is, and there's probably not going to be justice. Or if justice is going to be had, you have to eat it. And so there's a huge sense of, wait, how does that work then with forgiveness? How do you then use concise language and imagery so that if someone does something to you, can you just forgive? What does it mean just to forgive? If I steal your car and you forgive me, your car is mine now. That came at great cost to you. And so, or do you want justice? Do you want repayment? Do you want atonement? And you can see the Christian themes coming back out as we press into them, but we've lost the ability to put them into simple everyday language so they can explain it and understand it and grab a hold of it. 
And so for a lot of times, what we like to do, uh, we, we, again, we run a weekly event. Well, we did until this all hit, but we would run a weekly event called Freshman Connection where we would take biblical themes. We take the ideas of forgiveness, sexuality, mental health, purpose in life, friendship, all these different themes, and we would frame them from a Christian perspective without using Christian words. And then we would drive these points into their world with illustrations and problems, and then we would leave them with better words to express what they feel and their heart on fire of how do we solve this problem, and then we would just end the night. And they loved it because what we were able to do is talk about really hard things to light up their hearts of what was really wrong with the world around them and then put them to a place of how do you find answers for these things. And a lot of times it drove deeper conversations about where do we turn for racial reconciliation? Where do we turn for sexuality and expression that's not working? Where do we turn for mental health issues and broken families and broken home challenges? Where do we turn when it comes to being vulnerable and being known by other people and being able to take risks and go deeper in friendships? How do we solve the problems of the heart? And so we would just leave it there. And they would figure out along the way that we were Christians. But by the time they would figure those things out, we didn't hide it. But they realized that we loved them enough and that we were genuine enough. And we didn't care so much about them being converted that we didn't love them first. And so we would have really deep conversations. And they would stick around. They still stick around. And it's fun to talk about these people because they're ones that would never go to church. They're ones that don't like listening to the pastors because they have all this baggage behind them. But they still wrestle with the same things we all wrestle with. And they want to know where to turn. And it's hard to do. I mean, we've had to learn this over the years. But one of the ways we do this is we have, we have to be concise. Now, I'm probably not concise today. Um, it's hard without, without people around you. Um, but we would, we've learned that if we ran an hour meeting, we would talk for about 12 to 15 minutes. And then everything else would be self-discovery uh, or immersion learning. Because we needed to have our words so quickly pared down that they were, they were, they were tangible, that you could grab onto them. One of my favorite things, I love love listening to secular artists. I love listening to pop music, um, especially the ones with good lyrics. Because good artists are able to express how humanity feels with simple words and simple pictures. There's a reason why music has attached itself to every generation. It's because it allows us to express what we feel and see about the world and feel the pain of what it means to be human and to wrestle with that. I like to steal those words. I like to take those words. I like to take those images and bring them back and say, these are your poets. This is what we wrestle with. These are these lyrics that make us weep and cry. These are the stories that we latch onto and we, we think about and talk about and, and, and evangelize all across our secular world because these things hit us in deep ways. And what is the heart behind it? And so you have to do this simply and we got to contextualize it because the Bible is too far away for them. They're unschooled. They don't know what the text sounds like. They don't know what it is. They, they have all kinds of questions about where to even look to find biblical truths. And it's too far away for them. But the principles are not. The God of, uh, who wants to redeem humanity and partner with them is a principle that you can put in any context. The idea of, of how do we bring these themes into their world. Because if the more our world goes away from Christianity, the more the heart is going to wonder what's going to put it back right again. And so for us, I think it's, we don't, we don't, we do lament the culture war loss of Christianity, but not in a way that we lost it. We lament because of what, what damage it's done and what, what Christians 
what this culture has left on, on other people around them. So often for us, in order to contextualize Christianity, we have to deconstruct Christianity, or maybe I should say deconstruct Christian culture, and then we have to build what true Christianity is behind it. That we don't, they don't know how to differentiate between those two things. And so a lot of what we do is, is try to figure out how to do that. And it's really hard to do that. It's really difficult to wrestle, wrestle with this. And so um, to give a little more tangible stuff, again, I'm just shotgun blasting here. Um, one of the things I think we have a strong emphasis on in, in my upbringing of Christianity and Reformed theology is, is orthodoxy. What, what is the right thing to believe? But what a lot of young people are wrestling with is orthopraxy, is what's the right way to live? They just don't know how to live anymore. They, they don't, and, and, and because of that, uh, they don't know where to turn. And so I think a lot of people, at least young people, there's an alert of social justice and other initiatives because those things give you an expression of how you want to live to bring about some kind of goodness. It can give you something to fight for, something to bring wholeness back into the world, something that's good, that, that seems gospel-oriented. But it's easy to make that more important than the gospel. And so we kind of lose this battle of young people going into social justice and then getting rid of God because they're sick of a bunch of baggage that, that shouldn't be associated with it. But then we kind of just, how do we live? We don't know how to live. And so they're wanting to know these questions. And they want to see wholeness, but because they don't know how to live, I think a lot of them are giving up. And I think it's easy to attribute this giving up as they don't care, but I think it's more of an integrity issue. For them, they don't want to be split. They want to be everything always. They don't want to have this kind of boxed up life. They want a belief in a system that lets them live their faith out so they don't have a duality, that they can embrace it fully and give their life to it. And so I think because they don't know how to do that, they just don't try. And so because it's too dangerous to try to give yourself to something if it's not going to come out right or if it's going to cause more harm than good. And so I think a lot of young people are just, they just stop trying. They don't have an idea of what it means to be a Christian. And again, back to orthodoxy, they don't even know what to believe anymore. That's what the, the ironic part is. We've hammered this idea of this is the right thing to believe for so long in our country that all of a sudden, like, they don't know what that even is because the whole idea of this snake image of did God really say this and is this really the God of the Bible and is he really just trying to withhold you, all these narratives come back up. And so we have, we've made kind of gospel issues out of LGBT issues, sexuality, drugs, alcohol, self-expression, and all whatever the issues are. And I think a lot of this is they just don't know what to believe because they want to have a loving God, but yet we have all this baggage in Christianity about not being loving towards certain people. And we have all this baggage in our country of being a Christian nation that's promoted sexism and racism and all the other things. And they're just going like, well, you tell me what to believe. And, and so they're a generation of postmodern, post-Christian people who have learned to see through everything and have no idea where to turn for truth. And so now they, they, they quit. They don't take any stances because it's too dangerous to take a stance. And so the safest stances they can take are love. Love's an easy stance. No one's going to blast love. And so they promote love everywhere. But the problem is love is a dangerous topic <laughs> because what is most loving? How do you love with still holding truth? You can't neglect them because then it feels hard to do. And so I think there's a reason why we see upswings of people like Jordan Peterson in our world. If you don't know who he is, he's a Canadian, um, Judeo-Christian, supported, supporting individual, but he's not a Christian. Uh, he promotes this idea of how to live. He supports this idea of having 
um, a right orthopraxy of how to like live with conviction and to live with passion and virtue. And, uh, and he kind of questions orthodoxy, but he claims that the Judeo-Christian worldview is the best orthodoxy. But it's just, it's not worth putting your whole life into. We can take things from it. And the best lingo I've heard for this is he is a person who is probably the spokesperson for wanting the kingdom without the king. That our world wants the values of Christianity because anybody who does any kind of research or any kind of looking into these topics realizes, oh boy, the Judeo-Christian worldview has really done a lot of good. And it's the reason why our country and others aren't like the way of the other ones. But the problem is they want the kingdom, but they found that the king isn't very good. They don't like him because they don't trust him. They don't, they don't really know if he's loving. Uh, they don't really want to give him control of their lives. So they want all he has to offer, but they'd rather just leave him at home. It sounds an awful lot like uh, Exodus when God comes to Moses and says, I will go with you into the promised land. I'll give you everything you want, but I won't come with you. Moses says, no, that's not, we won't go. If you don't come with us, we have nothing. I think a lot of our world would say, yeah, that sounds good. In fact, we'd like it better that way. We want all you have to offer, but we don't want you to come. Uh, I think that's kind of where our world is at. They want the king, kingdom, but they don't want the king. Um, anyway, so just a little, there's a little bit of background, cultural things that I think we, we wrestle with and have been trying to work through. So how do, we, how do we kind of combat this? I'll turn the corner a little bit. We have learned that if we're going to recruit, you have to recruit based on how you want to keep them. And so you keep them how you get them is kind of the, the classic lingo there. And so this year we did something different. We recruited personally and individually. And we recruited two small groups and two outreach places. And so we just didn't, we didn't pull any punches. We told them exactly what we were doing from the get-go. We said, this is what this group is for. This is what we're going to do. This is what's going to happen by the end of the year. And, uh, and we're going to teach you these things. We're going to show you how to live. We're going to show you how to know the Bible, how to wrestle with it. And I can tell you what to believe, but we're going to teach you God's voice. And we're going to give you a place to wrestle like Jacob. And we recruited to it, and that worked. Uh, they, they, um, the students, the freshmen, those that come in with a belief, and even those who don't, they want a, they want a place where they can kind of push and, and, and explore and wrestle and see, is this God a big enough God for me to wrestle with? And the ones that are Christians want a place they can come in and say, I'm in, I'm already in. It was unpopular for me to be a Christian in my high school. I want to grow. Will you show me how to live? How do I live this thing out? I want to know who God is. I don't know how to do that. Uh, and so I think one of the things that we learned this year, uh, our men, I'll speak for my men's group specifically, we had um, seven guys in this men's group, me and a kid named Alex who wrote about our email update. We, we led this together. And, uh, and we tried to bring them in and tried to help them basically have quiet times and pray uh, and do those things. And then we transitioned about end of the first semester into a, a sexuality study. And I think one of the things that we've learned is I think that's just um, – that's, a, that, that's the wrong order. I think most of this generation, especially the men at least we've worked with, uh, I, think, I think it's true for women as well, is this younger generation wants to know that you can go deep very quickly. They already have the questions. They're already wrestling with it. And I think for them, if we don't get deep enough quick enough, then even by talking about quiet times in prayer, we're kind of building on a shaky foundation, that we need to go deep enough that they can know this is a God that I can believe in, that I can ask deep questions of. And when we go to the most painful places of the culture, it's there that we find the deepest gospel pictures. When we can go to the brokenness and the ache of what we're going through, especially in the area of sexuality, it's there that we can build the most, I think, graspable and, um, and just in 
man, rich images of who God is and who Jesus is. And when we build on that foundation of getting to the deep ache of who we are, and then we teach them to read the Bible and to pray, it's not something they have to do, but not something they want to do. That this God becomes somebody who they are looking at and going, yes, this is the God I want to worship. Because he's able to go to the depths of my soul, and I don't have to keep him from there. I can unlock everything to him. Now, that's scary, and there's a bunch of other baggage with that, but, but it's a God that's big enough for them. And it's a God that is able to bring their whole life into and so I think they also want to learn to unhide. I'll talk about this more in the, in the sermon, but I think, they're, I think they're, um, they, they don't want to hide anymore. They don't want to have a sphere of being found out. I think they want to be accepted. They want their life to be out there. And not just like a transparency, but more of a vulnerability. Transparency is like you can see everything, but they want to be vulnerable. They want people to be able to, to talk to them and, and then be inside with them. Uh, and there's a bunch of good articles I could give you on this. Um, for men specifically, it's a great article in the Atlantic um, called the, uh, the Miseducation of the American Boy. Uh, it's a little bit, I mean, it's, it's Atlantic. It's, it's not graphic, but it is honest um, when it comes to male, cult, men, basically male culture, specifically in, in high schools and college. Uh, and it's a phenomenally well-written article, and it exposes a lot of things that most men are too afraid to admit but long for. And we found that by going into these issues that these men really want to dive in. Uh, they want to be vulnerable. They just don't know if it's safe. Much like the lead singer, Hawk Nelson, they don't know where they can turn for these things. And they don't know if, if they share too much, if people are going to reject them. And then they're kind of left with nothing again. And so the one way we found is the best way to lead with this is we have to lead vulnerably from our own lives. That in order to lead this next generation, that we have to do a lot of hard work of expressing our own brokenness, our own insecurities, our own fears, and then to paint them in a way that is honest and vulnerable enough that we're not just sharing a story, but we're letting them see what it is for us to really wrestle with God and to turn to him and see what he does. And so it, it means sharing a lot of our ugliness and a lot of our mess and a lot of us um, modeling what it means to kind of be naked before them and to actually go to God with that. And so, and it frees them up because they can look at it and they go, that's genuine, that's sincere, I want to be like that. Um, and so there's two guys that I actually meet with every week. Um, well, I did, but now it's, uh, now it's about every other week. And they're two freshmen. Um, they're two good guys. They are both athletes. They're both sports people. And uh, I, I remember I sat with one in Chipotle before, at the big, uh, end of last, in the first semester. And uh, I was trying to press into more of what he was, where he came. He grew up in the church. The whole family grew up in the church. Whole family's Christians. Uh, he led FCA in high school, started FCA in high school, was kind of a youth group leader, was all of these different things. And I just sat down to Paul and said, hey, man, let's, I just want to know how much of the Bible you know. I said, start in the beginning and just tell me the story. Genesis 1, and let's just go from there. Uh, and that did not go well. It did not go well at all. Uh, he was way off on chapters as far as even the timing of things. Uh, he skipped whole people, even simple questions like, uh, how many sons did Jacob have? He didn't know. Who are these people? He didn't know. Like, just these huge gaps in the story. And I pressed in. And I said, how do you feel? And he goes, well, this is a little un un unnerving. I thought I knew the stories better than this. I said, okay, well, what do you think? And he goes, I don't know. I don't know what to do with this. And as we pressed into his life, I said, well, how, what is it? how do you live a Christian life? How do you know what it's like to be a Christian in today's campus? And he's like, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what that looks like. The other kid, I asked him these questions. He said, you know, without sports, I've been lost. Sports, I knew who I was, and I knew how to live. I knew what I was aiming for, 
and I knew what I was pushing for. He goes, I have no idea what's left anymore. And I think it's sad for me. Um, when I meet guys like this, one, I remember this is part of my own story. I knew what it was like to have the same sense that the sports was more attractive to me than God because I saw Christianity making a mess of things. And I thought sports was more attractive. And so I asked the first kid again, I said, hey, you know, I gave him, I gave him an assignment. I said, hey, listen, what was it like um, to be a captain on your baseball team? So what did that tell you about who you are? And how did that inform the way that you act and live your life? And he went through story after story and thing after thing of what he meant and what it looked like to live this way and, and how it wasn't just for practice. It was through every part of his life and how he was the model for others and, and all of these different things he went through. And he had clear, clear language for who he was and how he was wired and what he contributed to the team and, and what he was being asked to do and, and what that looked like and to what end game and to who he was going after and to, and to what success looked like. He had all of these clear, clear language. I said, okay, now let's go to Christianity. Who are you, and, and how do you live your life? And he had no more language. He had no idea who he was, and he had no idea how to live his life. And I pressed him, and he gave me answers like, well, I'm a child of God, and I'm supposed to make disciples, which is just the generic. That's every, every Christian should be those things. But I said, but how are, how are you wired? How are you supposed to be a part of this team? What, is, what, is, what does it mean for you to be you and then to you to have your part to contribute to what it looks like to partner with God and be a part of what he's doing. Who are you and what's yours? Not, not this first primary of every Christian. What's the secondary? What's your calling? And what's your identity? How did God make you to carry that out? And he, you know, smiled and laughed and said, that's a good question. And because uh, he had no more words. And so he said, that's what I want to work on. That's what I want to know. How, how do I know those things? And I feel like most of this generation is looking for these things. Who are they? Why are they here? And what does it mean really to be a Christian? They, they, they long for it and they want to do it. They've just never been taught. And the ideas of church services and youth groups and, and leading event-based stuff doesn't give them a tangible grip on it. And the silence on deep issues and, and the skimming over of, of hard topics in our world doesn't give them something that feels embraceable. What we do is we explain everything. I never let any word go um, that isn't explained that we use in church. Any word that you use in church and nowhere else, you should explain every time in every context. Uh, that's kind of my principle. Uh, I try to be concise. I listen. I ask tons of questions. And I, I, try, to, I try to put everything in, in, in contextualization and in imagery or things from his own life. And then I ask simple questions. Who are you and how are you living? If you knew it in baseball, why don't you know it in Christianity? And I just want to leave it with there. And so one of the things, um, I wrote about this, and I think it was an email update earlier this year, is I, I, I've been learning a lot about um, Judaism in the context of Jesus, not because it's special, just because it helps me understand Jesus. Um, but I love the, the word halakha, which is your walk. How do we teach people to walk out our faith like we do? How do we bring people in and show them what it means to be a Christian and how to live? of how it looks like to, to stand for things, to see the world and know how to care for them and how to like love them and the hearts break with them, but to not contextualize ourselves that we're no longer inside, out, no longer in the gospel. How do we balance this whole idea in our world? Right? I mean, how do we understand what God is doing? And one of the things we like to do is how do we help them know the story of the Bible? 
they can, we, we could easily make disciples of ourselves who follow us and make us sound great and, and build us up and puff us up. But we want people to learn God's voice so that they can go and hear from God. They can wrestle with God. And God's a place and God's a big enough person that they can wrestle and push back on him and God's going to be okay. And so we want to teach them. And we have to model it. And we have to model it for them uh, and give them things and, and go deep with them. And so, so this is kind of the thing. I mean, again, it's discipleship. But what the problem with discipleship is that word's lost its meaning again. And so a lot of people like discipleship, like, oh, yeah, yeah, discipleship. Yeah, yeah, give a group for that. I'm like, oh, boy. Um, give, a, give a book on that? Oh, gosh, uh, none of those are the way you, you uh, whew. Okay, you don't learn discipleship by Sunday school, and you don't get it from a book. It is a lifestyle, and you have to walk with somebody to learn from them. And so I like bringing new words into this box because they go, what's that word you use? What does that mean? They don't know what things mean anymore. But when we tell someone, hey, I want you to walk with me and walk with and, and learn how to live out your faith like I do. You'll know why I, I stand for certain things. You'll know why I get them from the scriptures and how I get it from the scriptures. You'll learn God's voice. You won't learn my voice. Uh, and so all these different things, they say, okay, I want that. How do I get that? And then they're on for the journey. And so I think that's kind of what we're excited about. I think this generation is more hungry than ever. I think they're more desperate than ever. I think it's a lot easier than it's ever been because those that want it already know it and they're just looking for a place to find it. And those that don't are getting frustrated with a world that seems to promise stuff and keep coming up with dead ends. And as we start getting involved with people and saying, listen, I will love you unconditionally and I'm not, I don't care about your conversion or I don't care about your success. I'll just love you. I'll teach you what it means to be like me. I think they're much more interested. So uh, that's kind of what we do. We were very excited about our new leaders coming in next year. We had about 10, 12 of them that were freshmen. We're probably not now. Uh, I know a few of them are already transferred to go to community college and stay at home for this next year. So it's a big shift for us with this COVID because I think there are people who are not wanting to pay a lot of money uh, to come take online classes <laughs> in the dorm room. And then there are some that just don't, don't the uncertainty, they're saying, I'm taking a gap year, I'm going to work some money and get ahead of my loans, and which makes sense. And so I think for us in this season going forward, how do we – transition back with the leaders that we're going to have, if they're going to be even around. Some leaders are just, oh, will still be enrolled, but won't come back. And then too, like, how do we recruit this next year? You know, it's going to be an interesting year. Um, it took a lot of creativity. It's like a lot of ingenuity because a lot of the event-based stuff and kind of the, uh, all the marketing stuff that we do was a lot of people-to-people interaction and a lot of going to places and like just canvassing and surveys and all that's probably going to be canceled. So, it's going to be an interesting upcoming year, um, and it's just a fascinating thing. So I know for us and our staff team this summer, our main goals are two things. Uh, we're going to invest uh, deeply in the individuals God's given us, and then we are going to spend a lot of time this summer, um, the other half of this, our time of growing deeper in God's word and hearing his voice uh, because we want to be able to come back in person knowing God better and knowing his scriptures better because if we know those two things – I think it'll go well with us. So uh, that's kind of a little bit of update. Hopefully that made sense. I have no idea. Um, I think I'm close enough to some sort of time constraint. And so I'm going to pray and just end it here. Um, Lord, we thank you for churches uh, like Northern Hills. Uh, we couldn't do what we do without them, not only financially, but just with prayer. We know uh, the prayer works. That's why we come to you. It's our declaration that you uh, know what's best, uh, that you are able to do this work uh, and that we want to turn to you to know what is best and to and where to go. 
And so, Lord, I thank you for your churches like this, that we have a partnership together, um, that there are people here that um, we can just speak more clearly with and open and honest with because they know you as well, and, and they're trying to do it as well in their context, that we are a kingdom of priests just trying to live this thing out wherever we are. And so, Lord, we thank you that we can have some sort of community even over digitally. Uh, but, Lord, but we just pray that those that are suffering in the wake of all of this nation's crisis, uh, for those that are, are dying in the, in the pandemic, uh, for all of these things, Lord, uh, for us Christians, it is no different than it was before. Uh, it's more evident. It's more aware. Uh, the promises and the, um, the kind of the, the, the standards of, of this worldview of kingdom are breaking down. Uh, but you are as true as ever before. And uh, this should be unwavering for us because we've always known that this is what humanity is capable of. And we've put our hope in you. Uh, and we look to you. Uh, and we just ask you what to do. We come to you and say, Lord, what would you have for us? Where would you have us go? Uh, we want to love people. And so you do that best and you know them best. And so we turn to you. We thank you. And we just want to do that together in whatever context we got from wherever we're at. In your name we pray. Amen. Buck, I have a question for you. Yeah. You mentioned uh, students wanting to really work at some of these concepts. Yeah. Res- wrestle with them, I think, was the word you used. Mm-hmm. And um, how, how do you see that work out in their life? I mean, do, do they come back to you with more questions, or do they go off and really uh, just, just do a lot of writing to get these ideas out, or is it just sort of a a momentary, you know, for five minutes they interact with you? Um, yeah, it looks different, each person. I think what I've found, yeah, I, I think most of the time is I have to, I'm going to steal from the Bible Project, which is my favorite podcast, is they always talk about this idea of building shelves, is that when you bring a new concept into someone's home, is that do they have a shelf for it? If not, they kind of hold it and it feels clunky, and they, don't, they don't know where to put it. And a lot of times I feel like, with this, especially with younger people, is they don't have a shelf for these concepts. And so I got, I got to almost give them the better language, and then I got to kind of redirect their question to what they're really asking. And so they don't have the language, and they're not really asking the real question. And so through a lot of kind of, it sounds like you're saying this, and a lot of kind of throwing words back at them, I'm just saying what's sticking for them, what, what word jumped off. And then, uh, and then I kind of press that question into like where I think it should, like where it's really going. Because that's kind of like the, the first question, but there's like that third, fourth, or fifth question behind it, and we kind of try to kind of press them into that. And so it's a lot of times kind of building shelves and then trying to get to the real heart of it. Uh, and then we just say like, okay, well, what do you want? It, it, but even getting that far to them feels immediately like, oh, thank you. But that is what I was thinking. That, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah, because their mind, they have all this like mental dissonance. like uh, you know, like, uh, And so when they have this dissonance, they're like, they don't even know how to express it yet, you know? And they're just, like, agitated. And then you kind of get the words to it. They're like, yes. And so even getting that far is enough. And then usually when they start asking, like, okay, what do you think now? I'm like, oh, now you want to know what I – okay, okay, now I can – and then you got to pull from the scriptures, and as much as I can from the scriptures and the stories to say, oh, that's why I love the story of Moses. I mean, okay, let me paint a picture again. You know, i got to tell them a story of Moses, not give them the verses. But i got to tell them a story of Moses. And then they go, that, oh, that's what God's like? Okay, that's okay. That's interesting, you know. And they'll, they'll push back, but I think a lot of times they almost need the right words and shelves. Uh, and then they go, "Thank you. That, that, that's it. That's what I was trying to get to, you know." And then you can kind of get somewhere. If you just answer the initial question, I think they would walk away 
more frustrated because it's not really what they were asking, and they don't have a shelf for it. You know, I've given them something, they're like, I don't know where to put this, and, uh, and I, 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 that's not even actually what I was asking now. You know, now that I have the answer in front of me, I really wasn't asking this, I don't know where to put this. And so they kind of leave more frustrated. So helping them do that, it makes them thirsty. <laughs> now, are you able to do that at one time, typically, or is it over a period of multiple interactions? I, I usually can now. It depends on, like, but other staff, younger staff, takes more time. Uh, you know, this is our 11th year, and so, so it just depends on the person. Like, it, there's no hurry. I mean, like, the, when you listen and, and want to work through with them, they're all in because they're like, wait, you're not scared by this question? No. <laughs> you know, and when you don't give those Christian answers back, oh, faith, and you're like, it, to them it's just like, got it, so not you, got it, you know, okay, no, you know, and then they just, you know, their eyes go dull, you know, because they're like, you know, they want to really wrestle with it. And so for me, I'm naturally a teacher, and I've, I'm more experienced. So for me, I can do it quicker. Other staff, even if they're more experienced, if they're really good at, like, different, different, there's different skills, it just takes them a little more time. I'm a little more brazen. I, I apologize more. Others are, are much more sensitive and, and much more, like, you know, un, unwounding of the thing. I just kind of, like, uh, I'm not sure how do I put this. It's like a, if it's, like, one of those, um, those, like, gobstoppers, you know, I'm just, like, take the hammer, smash it, and just go to the middle. Other people are like, let's just let's just dissolve our way to the middle. You know, it's just your bent. Uh, and then just the ability to like, uh, it just comes with almost experience. You know, it's like making sales calls. Uh, the first one, nope, that went terrible. I don't know why. But by the 100th one, you're like, nope, now I know why. And uh, <laughs> I got it. <laughs> now I know how to not do that again. It's, so it's that combination of gift and experience is what I, you know, so. So, yeah, so we have some staff that are like more of the melted away. Yeah. I'm the hammer guy. I'm just like, <laughs> Look, there's the middle. What do you think now? And they're like, you know, in front of the student, they're like, oh, yes. Other ones are like, wow, that I just not not ready for that yet. You know, uh, and so. If, if you hammer at the wrong time, do they come back, though, knowing that you care? They Sometimes. usually don't ask until they know that we care. Um, they, they, they typically, um, the initial questions, uh, I'm trying to think how I put this. Yeah, they usually don't ask the real questions until they know we care. And then it doesn't really matter how we – and the freedom of it to me is if we do that, if we really live out love God and love them, which Jesus talks about, it doesn't really matter how we answer. As long as we do that, they'll give us endless grace because they know that we love them and they're, and they're more into that than anything else. Uh, they might not agree with us, you know, but they know that we love them. And that's becoming more and more rare in our culture, especially with broken homes. A lot of students just don't even know they're loved anymore. You know, they don't, they don't have parents who are there. You know, they don't. They had friends who rejected them. And just to have someone who loves them, like genuinely, is like, it's like a beacon of light in their life. And so, so, so sometimes, it, like, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's almost like you can't, you can't mess it up. As long as you've loved them well, like, there's literally no way to mess this up. And they'll tell you over time. Does that make sense? Are a lot of them messed up? I mean, not knowing it from homes. Uh, Majority of your students that you're uh, that are coming in and freshmen. Uh, it's all across the board. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, so my freshman group. Let's see. Uh, one of the guys, his mom works for the president of FCA, but uh, there's no there's no husband in the home. I don't know why. Alex meets with him. He would tell you why. Um, uh, to kids growing up in the church, uh, single homes, broken homes. Um, there's uh, my senior group. I mean. Um, Robert, his dad, doesn't even care he exists. Calls him every two months out of obligation. Uh, his single mom who overworked, he's got tons of baggage in his life. Just his story is, 
endless amounts of grace. Uh, one of the girls um, that we actually asked to possibly to live with us next year, her dad I doesn't, I mean, like, she's not even there. Like, again, doesn't, I mean, I, I think for her, it's like, my dad doesn't care I really even exist. Um, and so it's super hard. And her mom's not a Christian. And um, and so it's just, uh, we get some kids that are like, just by loving, I mean, the, and just by loving them, like, They'll, I mean, in some sense, they almost will we'll have to kick them out of the out of the ministry. Like they just they're, they're so desperate for it. But other ones come from good homes, and even the good. I mean, like the some of the good homes. Like we have one kid, a non-Christian, comes from a real good home, loving parents, um, four brothers. Um, don't know his. He won't talk about his spiritual background. Uh, he's gay and uh, does not like Christianity or church. But he comes every week to our weekly meeting, uh, and he's come online with us a couple times to play games. And he's super fun, and he likes us, and we like him. He's been in my home, uh, met my kids, uh, but like when it comes to those areas, he just shuts us out. But we, but he knows that we believe it, and we've asked him to help us lead next year with new freshmen who are also, you know, in the same context. He's like, yeah, I'd like to do that. And like at first, he was like, what do you do? Like, what, what do you want me? To do? He's very, you know, hesitant. I'm like, we just want you to show up, meet other freshmen, love them like we've tried to love you, and just help them adjust. And we just want to be friends with them. We just want to love people. He's like, oh, I can do that. Like sweet, and we'll let you know more details as we go. Uh, so it's the it's just they're all across the like there's like snowflakes, you know. There's some that you hear their background, and you're like, huh, you should be more normal. Some you're like, wow, you should be way more messed up. Uh, and so anyway, yeah, they're all across the board. We're thinking about you. There's so much one-on-one individual discipling and and just meeting and discussing and, and challenging and. Many of them on your campus have been wanting to go into the same type of work. Okay. We've had good success with <laughs> yeah. what, uh, what do you contribute that to? I mean, it's a question we're always trying to wonder. Um, I think we've tried, our, my principle, at least from like, and I think I've gotten this from like Ward and other people, is I want to be as much as I can um, a model yeah. of, of like, of of what it means to follow God. And I try to create, we try to create, we use the word family a lot. So I think for us, we try to make it, um, like our model for our staff team is we want our team to be so united and so together that when they look at us, they go, I want to be a part of that. Uh, now connecting them to the bigger picture is what our goal is. But so people, I think people look at it and like, I want to be, I want to I do what you're doing. They've been impacted. And then they look at us and go like, I want to be a part of this, this group of people doing the same stuff. Which I think is really good. Well, you're seeing uh, so those young, so those young leaders are, are, are realizing the value of uh, of, of being genuine and, yeah. and uh, uh, presenting Christ. And, yeah. And living with Him. Yeah, and it's really helpful. I think they feel like it's like, oh yeah, I can, I can, and I think modeling through your own story is helpful because I can do that. You know, I want to do more of that. I want to give back, and so yeah. we 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 empower a lot of students to to do a lot, which is probably why we. We don't grow as quick, and we have a lot more mess around. Is because what I could do, I let them do, and uh, which means that like we, we, I mean, I'd say our recruiting effort, we lose about half of them because uh, the students get real scared and timid. But I'd rather have them lose them and get real scared and timid because when the ones that stay, they know they're there because of them, yeah. and then it's easy to empower them later. Like hey, they're following, they're, they're they're in this group because of you. Like you need to keep going. They're like oh, the, the big old bright eyes of like wow. I don't know what to do. It's like, we're going to help you. It's okay. Like, give them, you know, like, you, why are you here? Because so-and-so did it to me. Great. We'll keep helping you. So.
do the students who are, who are coming that are getting involved in your work, do they tend to come from particular majors or are they just kind of there because college is the next thing to do? Both. Yeah, I'd say both. I mean, Kent's a weird school. Um, like we had one group this, this semester that was all nursing majors, a bunch of girls. Um, and so there's always like, we usually, I mean, nursing's a big major at Kent. So like we always have some kind of level of nursing around, it seems like. But like the biggest majors at Kent are like, nursing's pretty big. Architecture is another big one. Um, fash, tons of fashion. We always have fashion people. Those are, the, those are the kind of the biggest ones we kind of always have around. And then business is a kind of a catch-all because it can mean anything. Yeah. Um, you know, it's yeah. like business. They usually say business, but it's just some kind of like, you know, emphasis. But uh, fashion is the, probably the biggest. So like of the programs, fashion, architecture, nursing, and then like there's a couple of other odd ones like ASL and some other things and flight, flight stuff. People might come from all over the country. Like there's a girl in Seattle, one in D.C., one in Tennessee, mm. all over the country. They're all fashion. And then they come from like all over the country. It's like one of like three majors. Uh, we have one girl from Texas who just wanted to get far away from home and went to, and Kent gave her a full ride. Mm-hmm. And so she came to Kent. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was she was a blessing. I mean, we loved having She was probably one of our strongest students, and she graduated in two years, and she's out. Mm-hmm. Which is like, wow. for us, we're like, oh, no, you were one of our wow. best. <laughs> you know, like, she's dynamic, you yeah. know. Um, so it's kind of a bunch of everything. There's not seem to be a rhyme or rhythm. I mean, the majority of the campus is probably within two, three hours. Like, 60% of the campus is probably the two or three hours of Kent. Like, that's probably, the, the, like, that's their main th- thrust of, like, students. But, you mean um, they, they live, they, they grew, they, they grew up, up? They grew they up, grew yeah, up, yeah. Okay. They, they drive home within two right. or three hours. So it's probably right. 60% of the campus, maybe more. Okay. But we get people from all over. The, the biggest degree, the biggest majors we get them. But because Kent's also, like, accepts anybody, we get kids who just go to college because they want to go to college. Mm-hmm. You know, so, like, we get, we get them all. You know, our mm-hmm. kids are, like, Maybe maybe shouldn't be in college, but just feel like I should get a degree. Yeah, I don't know what it's going to be but in yet. So so there's a lot of. It sounds to me that there's there's the certainly the potential there for people that I don't really know why I'm here, but I feel like I ought to be here. You know? Yeah, I would say like on a national scale, there's less students going to college just to go, and so this next generation well, good. has watched the millennials kind of yeah. burn their money and not get jobs. Yeah. Um, and so they're much more, like, they kind of come in with, I, I, I kind of know what I want to go after. Or they're like, this school offered me the most off. Oh. Um, so there's much, much more of a financially conscious oh. generation. Mm. Um, but they're much, more, they're much more aware, usually. So a lot, a lot less undefined majors is okay. what I would say. And it sounds like they're not afraid to ask questions. Oh no! I recall when we when I went. I mean, I knew <laughs> I was there, but I wasn't asking a lot of life questions. I was asking particular, you know, questions related to my major. But yeah. beyond that, I just well, I guess I already had a basis for life. But yeah, no, yeah, they're asking like, I mean, any question. A lot of it's around belief. Um, they don't really know what to believe. Most people don't even know what to stand up for anymore. Yeah. Anything you stand up for is dangerous. Is the more of the overwhelming sense, yeah. because like if you stand for something, um, poof. Well, now you're a target. Right. 
And, uh, and so you see a lot of stances on things that don't matter or things that you can't really flag on. Like I, I've seen, like, uh, I think it's, yeah, so like social justice issues, how do you fight against that? No, I love this issue. Okay, yeah. why? Why just, you know, and it's usually good motives. They just don't have words for it. Um, they'll stand for different brands, different things, because, like, this is, they'll stand for things. They, they, they want to stand for things. They just don't know what. And so it seems to be, like, the safest ones. They love social media. They doesn't remember. They, they want to be, they, they, they're afraid of, there's just a bunch of stuff. It's a tons of studies. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a weird generation, you know, so. Um, not weird. They're, they're, they're a, a different generation. Yeah.